This is Defenders TV Podcast, Episode 51, looking at Agent Carter, Season 2, Episode 7, Monsters. Welcome back, Defenders, to Defenders TV Podcast, as we move into our second bicentennial uh, section of podcasts on episode 51 and we are going to be looking at the episode monsters which is part of season two of agent carter episode seven uh, i am one of your hosts john and i'm your other host this week derek uh, welcome back welcome back indeed everyone and yeah. we hope you've been enjoying agent carter uh, as much as we have again this was a uh bashed out of the park uh, episode for me really really good loads of intrigue loads of uh, tension and obviously loads of the holy trinity of superb uh, tv ladies which was peggy whitney and dotty absolutely yeah really good episode and also this week we got a trailer for Captain America Civil War. So uh, lots of discussion about that. And um, we're going to discuss that after the uh, discussion about this episode. We're going to have a chat about the Civil War trailer. And uh, we are aware of a few of our listeners who are trying to stay spoiler free for uh, for Civil War. And um, that's probably the final trailer that they'll be uh, they'll be watching. Uh, probably similar to ourselves. I don't want to get too much more spoiled. But there's some some interesting stuff to talk about in the trailer, which we'll talk about just after this episode discussion. But remember, you can find our podcast on DefendersTVPodcast.com forward slash iTunes. You can search any other good podcast catcher such as Podcast Addict or Beyond Pod. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. Subscribe, uh, leave a review. This helps other people uh, find our podcast specifically on iTunes and some of the other podcast catchers. Um, and we will obviously uh, pop lovingly into your ears every time we release a podcast. And of course, we also have our Facebook group that you can join. Just search Defenders TV Podcast. And of course, you can follow us on Twitter at Defenders Cast. Yeah, we're getting close to our uh, Daredevil coverage starting out on the 18th of March. Um, So as John mentioned, just uh, it would be great to to get some more reviews up on iTunes as we get closer to that. Uh, And obviously for the rest of our Agent Carter coverage, because it does help more listeners find us. Speaking of that, we do have a review on iTunes this week that came in from Brooke in Kansas, uh, who says, This is such a great podcast. Their enthusiasm for the show is so wonderful to hear. I love the format of the five points that they use from each person to discuss their viewpoints about each particular episode that they talk about. I love Agent Carter and greatly recommend these fellas. These guys are always a joy to listen to. Keep up the awesome work. Thanks. Thank you so much for that, Brooke. That's really nice of you. Yeah, thank you, Brooke. It's really nice to to get the feedback. It really helps us um, determine how we do the show. And, you know, anything we can do to improve it is always welcome as well. So thank you so much for that feedback. And for the review on iTunes. And as John mentioned, if you want to send us in any feedback about how we do the podcast even, or or the episodes that we cover, or as you go through Daredevil, if you want to send in your thoughts about each episode as you go, uh, send those thoughts into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Absolutely. But with that, we move on to our five-point discussion of Agent Carter, uh, Episode 7, entitled Monsters. Derek, what have you got for us? Yeah, this episode was written by Brandon Easton, 
Uh, first time uh, writer for Agent Carter, newly uh, brought into the fold with Brandon Easton joining the team for season two of uh, of the show. Um, the episode was directed by Metin Hussein, uh, a British director uh, based from London, uh, who directed episodes of Outlander, Borgia and Shameless uh, might explain some of the little jokes we'll be talking about later on throughout the episode. John, do you want to tell us what they gave us in this episode? Absolutely. Chadwick's murder at the hands of Whitney Frost is spawned as just another lost-at-sea accident of the rich and famous in LA, as Frost appears distraught, clothed in black and veiled. However, beneath her veil lies another reality, as Manfredi has made her second in command, and Vernon Masters is tasked to break Dottie Underwood. But after many used vials of sodium pentothal, Masters is reassigned and tasked to recover the uranium rod stolen by Peggy Carter from Roxon, as Frost interrogates Dottie herself using more effective methods of torture. Elsewhere, as Frost uses her intel to hunt for even more dark powers, Peggy plots a rescue mission for Underwood, as her necklace tracker reactivates, hinting at a possible location and, of course, trap. Undeterred, Peggy, Jarvis and the Jitterbug infiltrate Manfredi's compound to release Dottie and the trap is sprung. But it is sprung against Dr. Jason Wilkes, who, unguarded, is kidnapped at gunpoint from Howard Stark's residence by Frost and Manfredi. In the ensuing escape and commotion, a familiar friend is caught in the crossfire and Dottie escapes once again into the wind. Yeah, really great episode this week. Lots of stuff going on. Uh, once again, I love these episodes where there's layers and layers of elements put in and loads of stuff to talk about. Um, before we kick into it, uh, some of our longer term listeners may be aware we don't have Chris with us again this week. Unfortunately, uh, things just haven't worked out in time, in times, uh, that where Chris is available to join us for our episodes. He will be back. He's not left the podcast. We promise. Um, he's just been very busy with work and, uh, and unfortunately, uh, unable to speak this week because he lost his voice due to, uh, due to a lot of work. And there is. A serious dose of man flu going around. I am kind of just um, finished a load of antibiotics from a secondary um, issue with the the man flu that I got. But Mm -hmm. I mean, it's it's wiped me out for three weeks. Absolutely. Um, You may have heard a a more muffled sound from me of late. Uh, That's probably due to the uh, amount of blocked noses that I've had uh, of late. (laughs) Aye. But, uh, but yeah, Chris will be back. Chris will be back. Um, it is only man flu, um, of course, and we will recover. Absolutely. Absolutely. Um, John, do you want to kick us off with your first point of your five for this episode of Agent Carter? Absolutely. I really liked um, Vernon Masters in this. I really, there were a couple of elements here that I just thought really expanded his um, character. You know, he, he's kind of come into the SSR, whether in New York uh, or LA, kind of stomping around, exerting his authority. There's obviously the mentoring role that he's doing with Chief Jack Thompson. Uh, and of course, um, there's his involvement with the Arena Club. Mm. But the level of that involvement, I think, kind of really sort of became apparent here where now there's this connection uh, and relationship with Whitney Frost where she is ordering him around. You know, let's not forget, this is um, a high-ranking FBI official of the government being bossed around by an unelected nefarious body, um, which now is um, also being commanded by um, Whitney Frost, who is infiltrated with this zero matter. So um, this was a really interesting connection. Um, And it does seem to me that Whitney Frost values him as a, essentially as a a pack horse to do 
the work. Um, he doesn't seem to be in her council. That seems to be uh, left to Manfredi. And she is very much putting her trust into Manfredi um, and not Vernon Masters, whereas I think, and um, from what I can gather, uh, Masters would have been the guy that the Council of Nine would previously have put their trust in. Right. So I thought this was really interesting. And then we also get a bit of backstory as he goes into um, torturing Dottie. Uh, and this I just really liked, uh, in particular with the sodium pentothal um, truth serum that, that was being used. And how he just feels that again it, it's that kind of machismo where it's he feels because he's a man that this is going to be easy and he he you know starts injecting um dotty and she's like it's like mother's milk mm-hmm. and i thought this was really good it showed the toughness of um of of dotty you know she goes go on ask me another question you're almost there just almost basing him i really really like that mm-hmm. um and you know Vernon Masters kind of makes the the point that you know he has dealt with um women before in a in an interrogation setting um and he he kind of references back to world war 2 and uh, a concentration camps uh officer's wife and and trying to get information from her and I love that Dottie's response is that I'm no Nazi harlot I've burned myself with a blowtorch, I've pulled out my own teeth, nails, and her. You know, this truth serum is like mother's milk, as I've said. Like, yeah. And she can handle interrogation and torture big time. And I love the fact that, again, Whitney Frost comes in, sees that he is not doing it. He really is not doing it. And she goes, this requires a woman's touch. Yeah. yeah. Um, and that moment where she just kind of, she just strokes his cheek with the back of her hand. Uh, his reaction to that, because he doesn't know whether he's suddenly going to get sucked into her body yeah. from from the zero matter, is just really, really great. It's just lovely and subtle. Loved it. Absolutely loved it. Yeah. Um, I think this was a really nice episode for Vernon Masters and his relationship with the remaining council members, but in particular with Dottie and Whitney Frost. It really shows his character. Um, and he's not the big gun like you think he is when confronted with people who are much more confident about themselves and much more in control uh, of their own uh, destiny. Loved it. Yeah, absolutely. This was also my first point as well. Um, because of it, it's a great interaction moment between Dottie and Vernon Masters. Uh, we learn so much more about him. We think that he's the bureaucrat, really, from the first couple of episodes. We feel that he was kind of standing on the shoulders of other people. Uh, what's, what this shows us is that he's He's done deep interrogation before. He's pretty brutal kind of character, you know. Um, to be the person that is uh, that is interrogating or is torturing people to get information out is something that I wasn't expecting behind uh, the Vernon Masters character so far. But I love how Dottie calls it out to him and says, uh, "You're trying to be confident and strong. You're trying to show me that you're able to do this. Yet all I can see is fear." Uh, because of the blonde-haired woman that holds your leash, uh, which I love that, that that Dottie, regardless of the fact that uh, she doesn't actually know Vernon Masters and how brutal he could be, she's called him out on it immediately. She can see it in his eyes that he's not able to do this, um, that he is just just using the machismo um, to kind of carry himself, I suppose. Um, yeah, lovely scene, really, really enjoyable. I love the fact that nothing surprised her. You know, he he lays out all his tools of torture, and she goes, "Oh, how romantic! It's our first date." <laughs> Um, like everything he is showing her, everything that he is using to try and intimidate her, 
Um, she's seen before and it is not phasing her. This was really, really good. Yeah. Um, great, great scene. And a great scene then also, as I say, with uh, Whitney and Vernon as well. Absolutely. Absolutely. So Derek, what's your second point then? Yeah. Yeah. Um, my second point is actually by Jason Wilkes in this episode. Mm. Some big changes for Jason, uh, this episode mm, of one. Which one is he's solid for a large portion of this episode? That's true. Yeah, yeah, yeah absolutely. So quite, quite cool that he's got uh, got the ability to build a machine, which uh, which Whitney Frost calls out is a huge achievement for one person on their own without the support of Isodine that he would have had to work on the Zero Matter. Essentially, Whitney calls out that he is a hugely intelligent guy. And um, but really, the scene I'm speaking about is a kind of a an answer to a, a question that we had in last week's podcast about what happens to him when he goes into the Wraith world, uh, as we called it. Um, when he phases out of of reality and disappears into this wraith world and um, it's created a huge change in jason wilkes uh, and the big moment for this is where he's talking to peggy and peggy's saying that she's going to go back in and save uh dotty underwood um and his reaction to that is quite quite visceral he really cracks i mean you see he's under a huge amount of pressure absolutely yeah yeah but it's even more than that he specifically says to, to peggy let her die you have the way of, of flicking the kill switch taking out dotty why not do it she's just a she's just the villain of the piece effectively she's she's someone that you've wanted to capture she's someone you want to put in prison why don't you just kill her um he says, I'm not talking about just life or death here. I'm talking about something much worse than that, which presumably is effectively the Wraith world, which is kind of like hell is what it looked like. It looks like he's going to be transported to another location um, if he does phase out for the final time. Uh, and he wants everybody to be focused on the fact that he needs to stay within this world. So it's interesting to see the side of Jason Wilkes because this could form some kind of motivation for him to join up with Whitney Frost in future, you know, to try and keep himself alive and try and keep himself out of going to that other place that we saw in the last episode. Yeah, it's a desperation absolutely coming uh, on to, to Jason Wilkes. It, it's certainly one of my points as well. You know, we really do see that change in him. And, um, you know, he's pressured, he's, he's, he's becoming selfish because he wants to get better. He wants to sort of remove himself from this threat of entering the, the wraith world. Um, and all he can hear is Jarvis and, and Peggy putting their energies and efforts into, uh, essentially rescuing someone who is a killer, yeah. is um, a traitor in the eyes of the American government, um, who is an, a spy uh, from another country. So yeah. here we have, um, he he's seeing where he's not the priority and that is, um, that becomes too much for him. And I really like that, but I like the flip side of Anna uh, Jarvis really helping him in the construction of that machine. Yeah, absolutely. And he seems to really appreciate that. Yeah. Um, you know, that's really good. I mean, even in terms of the, the meal that they have together is a really nice little touch. It is. That yeah. kind of bond that they, they've, um, created between the two of them. Absolutely. Have you ever fancied crying into a bottle of a thousand dollar wine? I like that little touch. That's yeah. quite funny because they're clearly using Harrod's stash of wine. And um, yeah, but there is also, I don't know whether I would call Wilkes, uh, selfish in this. I think he's just desperate. Um, but that's what I mean. I, I mean, there's a selfishness coming from the desperation. Yeah. Cause he does call it out to Anna that um that he's phasing it out more often than he used to so he's probably feeling that he only has a very very limited amount of time to he's get scared this done. he's frightened yeah. and that's what i mean he's becoming 
uh, focused on his own uh, self-being and yeah, worth. Exactly. So he's probably saying, I've got, you know, two days here. How about you wait for those two days? See if you can help me out and then maybe go and save Dottie if that's what you want to do. But I've only got a limited amount of time. If you guys go off and say, try and save Dottie, get captured as they end off doing, um, perhaps should, they're not going to have time to save him uh, within that period of time. Absolutely. You know? That's all I have about that particular point of Jason Wilkes, but there is one other element of Jason in this episode, which I loved, which you kind of mentioned, where he does uh, come back to solidity. I love that the first thing that he does when he comes back into the real world is kiss Peggy Carter, you know, <laughs> thereby complicating her entire life. Um, he's waited <laughs> for it from their first date that they had uh, in episode two. Uh, he's waited for this moment. He's been hanging around her the whole time. He mentions the frustration that he's had, and she mentions it as well in one of the other episodes. Uh, and the first thing he does is kiss Peggy Carter in front of Jarvis and Anna. Um, Anna seems to be pretty happy with this with this situation. Uh, Jarvis calls it out that this has now complicated her entire life. Um, well, he, he's kind of got awkward looks. He's kind of like looking around at that particular moment in time. But yeah, he certainly calls it out, uh, later. Yeah. Um, yeah, no, and that it was really, that was really nice. Like what, what are the two first things that he does? He, he kisses the woman that he's been trying to sort of, uh, woo when, he, before he was infected with the, with the zero matter, um, from the explosion at Isodyne, mm-hmm. you know, he, he tries to make that right. And he's also starving. Yeah. I, I love the fact that, you know, he is absolutely famished um, and, and really hungry. I love as well this contraption that they've built. It just reminds me of 1970s Doctor Who, quite frankly. Very much um, so. And I don't mean that in a bad way. It's like a, a modern take on that with all the, the tubing and the neon purple. Mm-hmm. Um, it just really did look Doctor Who 1970s. I uh, and I mean. really liked it though. I loved actually that it, it seemed to reflect the jukebox that's in the laboratory as mm-hmm. well. So there's this neon vibe about it, which that kind of fits with that whole 1950s, um, vibe as well. So I, I really liked, um, this. To me, this was kind of a bit retro and nice actually. Yeah. And certainly as a Doctor Who fan, I could see, um, Yes, I could see the hand of the BBC involved in this contraption um, and its and its design. Absolutely. It's funny you mentioned the jukebox. I have to say, ever since Claire Laffer, who was a guest on, on our show in episode five, ever since she mentioned the jukebox in the in Harrod's study, I can't stop noticing it. I definitely want to get one of those as well. <laughs> Absolutely. But as well, speaking of um, famished, I am going to segue into um, Peggy Carter going from feast from from famine to feast uh-huh. as Jarvis mentions um later on in the car as they're heading over to rescue Dottie this was a really nice lovely scene between the two of them and mm-hmm. um, it really opened up Peggy's vulnerable intimate side as well something that you don't see you know she very much emotionally will be a closed book um whether that's stiff uh upper lip british style or mm-hmm. or whether it's just that you know she's getting the job done and, and she's very matter of fact about getting the job done and mm. um, you know you, we know she has feelings for suzo we know she has feelings um for for wilkes but she is prepared to subsume them and um, for the job for yeah. the task at hand and we saw that with steve rogers as well it can hurt her terribly, but she will try and hide that from view. Um, and I loved here that we got that window into, um, 
the more intimate side of Peggy Carter, mm-hmm. um, and and that it's it, it's brought about by by Jarvis. Um, you know, he probably can tell and realizes that she needs to talk about these. And I, I love the fact that um, you know Jarvis has eavesdropped. He's heard the conversation between Sousa. He's fully up on that. You know, um, he's trying to fill the 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 silence. So he's whittering on about um everything that's happened. Mm-hmm. And of course, jo- um, Peggy then applies the break forcefully um and they have the conversation um you know and it's a really nice thing that Jarvis says to her where he says you don't understand your allure Miss yeah. Carter really yeah. really nice um and you know she says I don't know what to do we have Peggy um absolutely in two minds she's obviously still got um feelings for Sousa. She now knows that um his fiance has called it off because she has seen that connection between Sousa and Peggy. Yet we have uh Wilkes kissing her um and, and trying to fulfill his relationship with her that started off in, in episode one and two. Yeah. And as Jarvis rightly points out, there is on the one hand Wilkes incandescent smile. <laughs> and on the other, we do have uh Sousa's deep and dreamy eyes. Of <laughs> which brilliant. we do have to say and call out that that is quite correct. Absolutely, yeah. <laughs> it's really it's really good. I love that scene in the car with Jarvis and Peggy. Um it's one of those great things about the Peggy Carter character. Um all the way back to uh, Captain America the first Avenger you've always seen that about Peggy that she's not willing to show the emotional side because it can just easily be taken as well you're emotional because you're a woman. Um she's always ha- hung with the boys. She's always been the person that's been able to put that side of herself away and just battle along with the Helen Commandos. She's always been the person that's been able to be um the leader of a of a team of a crack force essentially. Whereas now it's all just arriving at her doorstep, she's got the choice between two men, which she never thought she would be. I love that she calls it out, that she's, I, I'm trying to work out exactly what she said. It was something around, along the lines of, I'm not, I'm not some chivy, um, some chivy girl here. Yeah. Like not some chavy girl kind of thing. No, I don't, I, I'm not head. some sort of chivy, uh, lady who's trying to be a homebreaker, trying to sort of, um, essentially, uh, manage two men at once. Yeah. You know, she doesn't know what to do. And that's what she's called out. Um, to, to Jarvis is that I don't know what to do. Um, I have these two quality suitors, mm-hmm. as he says. And I mean, again, yeah, loads of kind of expressions here, like sticky wicket. She's on a sticky wicket. Um, that moment on Twitter, uh, as we were watching and live tweeting the episode, as we do every week on Thursdays, when Jarvis says you're on a sticky wicket in relation to, to Sousa and Wilkes. Uh, I have to say on Twitter, it was really funny. Even though we're watching it in the UK, there are still tons of people who have no idea that that's a 1950s phrase connected to, uh, to cricket particularly. Um, and we just saw about five or six people that are, that are chatting on Twitter about the episode going, uh, what the heck does that mean? <laughs> it means it's difficult. Yeah, it exactly. means it's, it's difficult. a difficult situation. Yeah. Uh, again, to do a cricket, which I don't know much about, I must say. You can't dispatch the ball to the boundary or, or get the runs, um, because it's a difficult wicket to read oh, a sticky wicket very good see so she's got a problem she can't make the decision she can't 
get the ball to the to the boundary to get the points because she doesn't know what to do and like it is it's perfect phrase uh, that you would expect Jarvis at this moment in time um in the 50s to use uh, in relation to this so yeah a lot of britishisms um i suppose coming out here chivy um you know all of these kind of things it's just really really uh, good it, yeah. it really places it in this 50s moment, which is really good. Yeah, absolutely. But Derek, what's your next point? Uh, my next point is the sense of humour in this episode. Uh, a little risque this episode, a little more risque than usual, in fact, I, I think would be the best the best term for it. Um, we have a great moment early on in the episode when uh, when Jarvis is speaking to um, to Peggy and says that he's learnt some engineering by just hanging around with Howard Stark. You always pick up something if you're hanging around with Howard. And Peggy says, um, I'm surprised you didn't pick up the clap. Nice <laughs> and <laughs> fun little, uh, fun little gag there. And then later, the other one that I picked out from this episode, which I just couldn't stop laughing at, was when Jarvis is trying to work out why he couldn't get the jitterbug working when he's put in the six digit code for, um, to make it work as he's done before and then realizes that those are in fact the measurements of Carol Lom- Lombard rather than <laughs> Barbara Stanwyck. Um, because that, the, the measurements for Barbara Stanwyck make the jitterbug do something very different, which is, um, delayed detonation. Um, absolutely brilliant moment. I love that it's there for definitely the adults in the room. I know a ton of people who watch the show with their kids and they'd never understand this concept of the, the measurements, uh, and what Howard's done. And I love that it's a Howard Stark absolutely. thing. Absolutely. Yeah. It, it fits so nicely that it's Howard Stark using women's measurements to, um, code up uh, different functions of the Jitterbug machine. And I mean, like, shout out to the Jitterbug. Loved it. I mean, I loved this, you know, <laughs> this kind of bulky little sort of portable machine. Still portable, but still nonetheless, it looked a bit bulky. Like, great. I oh, loved it was, it. It was fabulous. But the scene itself, when Jarvis puts it down on beside the pool as the men are running towards him. I still don't understand why he was waiting so long to press the button. He was kind of, you know, he's trying to get as many people in front of it as possible, definitely. But by the time he actually started entering the code, <laughs> yeah. one of the guys was pointing a gun at his head and was stopped. You know, it's, uh, he was definitely waiting a little bit too long, but was overly excited by having, uh, this fantastic weapon that Howard had created. It's just, that's the way it came across to me. Uh, really, really enjoyed it. But the sense of humor in this episode and fair dues to Brandon Easton. I know he worked with, uh, Eric Pearson, who wrote last week's episode. Um, I know the two of them specifically worked on this episode but this is brandon easton's episode and just a little more risque on the humor this time which i really enjoyed so well done there john do you want to give us your next point my next point is definitely the three graces and um, whitney dotty and peggy uh, for me the three ladies here were absolutely awesome mm-hmm. um, again it's it, it comes from the the last episode as well i just can't get enough of these three on screen um, you know whether it's the start of the episode where Whitney Frost is in all black with the veil. I mean, I just loved the, the dress and the veil there. It just was so um, evocative, I thought. Yeah. Uh, really nice. And and just the fact that you know that behind all of that, it's an act um, for the cameras and for the press. I just thought it was really, really good. Um, yeah, she's doing it because she's saying that her husband has died at sea along with the other members of the arena club, essentially. Yeah. That's the cover that cover story that they've created. Yes, yeah. Another yachting accident. Um, uh, for the rich and famous of of LA. Mm-hmm. Um but like I love the fact that she 
I've mentioned this before, this this contrast of her kind of porcelain or, or, or weak and vulnerability that she has um, or she can project. But underneath this then, uh, and this is one of the one of the big highlights for this episode for me was like when she's with Vernon Masters, but in particular with um, Dottie, where you know, she 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 feigns a, a sympathy or an empathy with Dottie in the interrogation room. She she really kind of makes Dottie kind of believe that, okay, well I can wrap this one round my finger like I did with Vernon Masters. Yeah. And then she just goes and, and applies her palm to to her face and, and uses um the, the zero matter to I mean frighten the bejesus out of uh, <laughs> Dottie Underwood, quite frankly. Um and I loved that scene. It was just, this power play between these two strong women uh, was awesome. It, it really, uh, you know, you don't see that very often on, on TV. The power play is always between the men or, you know, it, it's the power play of the man against the woman. Mm-hmm. Um, and yeah. this we have a, a fantastic power play between Dottie uh, and Whitney, of which Whitney, yeah, as I say, frightens Dottie to death. Yeah. Uh, and, um, starts the 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 tracker to to lay the trap so for me this was just great absolutely and i love that peggy calls it out later on that that now Dottie is terrified of whitney you know she's never seen her afraid of anything before and now suddenly she sees her totally afraid of whitney frost and um, because of what she's done to her because you know this is something that's completely out of nowhere for Dottie. she's not been involved in the zero matter stuff she's not been involved in these kind of superhuman uh people that have been around her um her previous handler had got some uh, a power effectively but not you know, not in the league of uh, Whitney Frost in this series. So, um, so yeah, there's a great moment when Peggy calls that out and has realized that she knows Dottie so well that there's definitely something that set her on edge. No, absolutely. And I think as well, then, we have the the dialogue between Dottie and Peggy after Peggy and Jarvis have been captured. I love, I love the, that whole scene for me. Firstly, you have kind of Dottie going, yeah, blood. I was supposed to get a blood sample. Yeah, right. You know, she's, she's now aware of the absolute difference in the reality of what Whitney is compared to what Peggy uh, said to her to get yeah. her on board. Yeah. Uh, and then I just love the, the frantic race to try and get, um, uh, untied and unbound from the the the, the chairs, and um, and of course Jarvis wins the day. I love that. I love how he's kind of like I'm free, and they're still <laughs> trying to to get uh, the ties and the binds off their ankles. I think a really good that race. You see the the race between the two, yeah, uh, between Peggy and Dottie. I just thought it was excellent. And for me, this all goes in with the three graces that make up Agent Carter this season and that's Whitney, Dottie and Peggy and um, absolutely fantastic. Yeah, one of the points I had about the about the race to get out of the chairs as well is the fact that Dottie threatens Jarvis. That's effectively what she's saying is if I get out of this chair before you do, Jarvis is dead. But Jarvis is the one that gets out first, which I loved. I thought that was really good. And I wonder if it's just because Whitney completely underestimated Jarvis, um, that that's why he's tied up in a different way than, than the two ladies. You know, she knows the strength of Peggy. She knows the strength of Dottie. She doesn't really know the strength of Jarvis. She just assumes he's a butler. So he gets tied up slightly more loosely than the two ladies do. Um, but I like that. I thought it was, thought it was a great scene. Absolutely brilliant. Yeah. So Derek, what's your next point? 
My next point is about one of the characters that you've mentioned a few times, uh, Manfredi, Roberto Manfredi. Given how villainous Whitney Frost and Dottie Underwood are, I kind of expected that they would be the ones that you're supposed to dislike, you're supposed to hate. I love that those characters, I love how developed those characters are. Roberto Manfredi comes on on the screen for about two scenes within this episode, and I, my, my skin was crawling with his attitude and with his um, dealing specifically with Wilkes in this episode. He walks into the room as, as Whitney Frost is talking to Wilkes, saying to him effectively, um, yeah, okay, you might be a scientist, but you're just as bad as me. You're, you're a black man in, in a scientific company. They gave you the chance just to make up the numbers, just the kind of thing they do with women as well. Um, you're nowhere. And then Manfredi walks in and says, Oh, Dr. Wilkes doing the air quotes kind of thing. I've a black scientist. I've seen everything now. And that moment just gets sent kind of chills up my spine that there's people like this or that there were definitely people like this in the fifties that would be looking at a hugely intelligent man directly in his moment almost of triumph. He's created something that has never been created before. Clearly a very intelligent man. And he's being cut down instantly mm. by this thug. Uh, as he walks into the room, a great performance by the actor in the in the, in the role. Um, I must say because I know he's he's been in comedies before. He's got a very different style in most shows he's been in before. But there's two scenes now that he's been in. Uh, one last time we saw him, where he killed one of his uh, one of his guards for looking at Whitney Frost the wrong way, and this time now, truly, it's the casual racism that he's he's doing of that era. Where, yeah. um, you know. It's even that he doesn't understand the nuanced conversation that Whitney Frost is having with Wilkes, because yeah. that's still a tough conversation that she's she's having. She's laying it bare as to, you know, why did you think you were employed? I mean, this is kind of one of my points, actually. That conversation that Whitney has with, with Wilkes is, yeah. is really tough, where she lays it bare about the reality of why he was employed by Isodyne. But that kind of goes over Manfredi's head, and he it's just the... He is a man of his time, a product of his upbringing. He is and not willing to change. He's violent, um, he's bigoted, and he's more than likely, which comes out in this episode, just um, inherently racist. Yeah. Um, he's pro- you know, he probably would be anti-Semitic. He would be a whole host of other things. Yeah. Um, you know, so like he's just yeah. He makes your skin crawl because it's inherent. Um, it's his nature yeah. in him, and it's that kind of the worst trait of human nature, in a sense, to to have those kind of views. Absolutely. And I know we're seven episodes into the show. I know we're coming into the end game for the series. Uh, Dottie's now in the wind. I'm kind of getting that feeling. Yes, I know Whitney Frost is the big villain of the show, but I'm kind of going, I love the character. So I'm kind of hoping they hold on to her. They don't kill her at the end. They put her in prison or something like that. Whereas Manfredi, I want to see him get his just desserts probably at the hands of Jason Wilkes uh, as he gets more powerful in uh, in his use of Zero Matter. Uh, I'm kind of hoping that something will be taken out on uh, on Manfredi as we go through the end of the series. So just coming back to the tough conversation, I mean, I thought that was excellent, you know, and it's not just with Wilkes. You know, Whitney calls out uh, Jane Scott as well, the, the lady in the lake. And yeah. she, you know, she goes, a woman and a colored man. Why do you think you were hired by Isodine? You know, you're easily manipulated. You would be compliant because of the, the, um, chance that you've been given. Yeah. Um, but you're also expendable. Um, you know, and I think as well, you know, she teased that 
that kind of reality up to then really make a pitch to Wilkes where she kind of says, you know, this is why I'm doing this. This is why I'm trying to use zero matter for people like you and me who haven't been given this opportunity, you know, to to become equal, to show the world that just because I'm a woman, uh, just because Jane Scott was a woman or because you're a black man, that you are no weaker, you're no different or more or less successful than any other person if we can use this zero matter. Now, it's intriguing to see what she still wants to do with it. I mean, yeah. it's just simply at this moment in time, are those lofty goals really her goal? Or is it simply a goal of zero matter um, to open up these fissures again so that the zero matter can go back through the fissure to where it came from? Mm. Or is the direction of travel going to be the other way to bring this dark force into uh, the human realm. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. Um, yeah, great scene, definitely. And I also loved, uh, just a little point, I also loved what happens when Whitney tries to uh, tries to use the zero matter on uh, Wilkes and the connection between the two zero matter, the zero matter inside Wilkes and the zero matter inside Whitney, um, showing that J- Wilkes, even though he doesn't know it, is just as strong and as powerful as Whitney. A great moment, really, really enjoyable. And I'm hoping, I'm absolutely convinced, in fact, that we're going to see more of that uh, in the next and final three episodes. Of the yeah, series. no, that was really cool because, again, it, it plays into what you were saying about maybe Wilkes becomes so desperate that he's willing to join forces with Whitney, that there's yeah. almost a kindred spirit because that's the way I kind of felt Whitney saw him at that moment where she realized that he could combat her it was you're like me that kindred spirit element that connection between the two Mm -hmm. and so i wonder will wilkes move increasingly through uh through whitney now i mean it's an interesting thing that could happen yeah whether it does or not i can't wait to find out yeah absolutely and that's kind of my points on it Uh, john do you have a final point yeah i've got one final point and that's really uh and, and vernon you know vernon comes in here and essentially relieve Sousa as the chief of the LASSR uh, branch and um, also presumably sends in those heavies to beat him up. Mm. Or, you know, it, I was trying to think, um, are those heavies from from Vernon or Manfredi's? I mean, I, I wasn't entirely sure, but I assume it's Vernon's. I think, yeah, I think that the direction is given by Vernon, yeah. uh, but they probably are Manfredi's men. Yeah. But I kind of really just, that um, that to and fro between Vernon and uh, Sousa, uh, where Sousa's trying to kind of resist him and resist him uh, to to go after the uranium rods that he, along with uh, Peggy, had stolen from the Roxon facility. But now, um, you know, Vernon just essentially sidelines him. You know, he he puts him to one side, and that's it. Yeah. Um. You know, he beats him up and strips him of his his rank in in the SSR at this moment in time puts it on hold so this is really interesting as to now will Sousa just you know on annual leave do the same thing that Peggy is doing mm-hmm. um so I'm really interested to see uh, how that works out but that was a another little small side plot happening uh, during this episode which um again with Sousa having a disability a war uh, disability then mm. he too is being sidelined by society. You know, he, he is viewed differently as well. And I, uh, I think it's a really, um, 
important, uh, at least in the eyes of Vernon, you know, I think it's a really um, interesting kind of uh, additional element to this whole show and to Sousa's character as well. Absolutely. So, Derek, uh, do you have a final point or note on on this episode? Yes, my final point is Jarvis in this episode. We see a very different side of our wonderful Edwin Jarvis. Absolutely. When he yeah, uh, when he realizes that his wonderful Anna is in trouble. It's the big thing, really, isn't it? It's just like Jarvis switches on a dime, yeah. uh, becomes the all action hero, Jarvis. Mm. You know. Uses the jitterbug to knock out one of Manfredi's thugs um, at the compound. Picks up the gun and is like, "Come on, we have to go and, and save my wife and and stop anything bad happening." Yeah, it's very much how he shuts down the conversation between Peggy and uh, Dottie as well. It's just the reaction to him where he's just going, "Just shut up. We don't have time for this. We must save Anna. I don't care what you guys have between you," kind of thing. Uh, and unfortunately, he doesn't get there in time. So. Uh, Anna is is shot in the stomach and uh, and put down to the ground. I don't believe she's dead. Um, I think that Whitney is trying to do everything she can to keep Jarvis and Peggy occupied. Uh, I don't think she's trying to kill Anna. Um, there does seem to be, as you mentioned earlier on, about the kind of the loftier goals of Whitney. She doesn't seem to see herself as a villain. Obviously, she's not just there for power. Um, but this conversation with Anna is kind of saying to her, um, "I'm going to have to use you as a way of." of slowing them down uh, in my path so I can complete my plan kind of thing. Yeah, because, I mean, Manfredi is all for just shooting Anna, and that's it. You know, he has that kind of bloodlust underlying everything he does yeah. as a complete and utter thug, whereas Whitney kind of holds him back there. Um, absolutely. Yeah. Um, I really just like the fact that, you know, this is happening to Jarvis. I mean, you know, he's been called the the comedy foil of everything and i mean it is one of those things that comedy and tragedy are close bedfellows mm-hmm. um, and here we have that and i i think it makes it more powerful knowing how light jarvis's character can be in terms of the witticisms the the actions the the comedic element to it and now that person of lightness of um deafness is ravaged by tragedy of a loved one, a close loved one, you know, his wife, Anna. And so this is really, really good um, kind of contrast for Jarvis's character and one that really adds to it, I think. Yeah, absolutely. And I, I suppose the fact that it was called out that Anna needs to let him have his his moments of excitement and adventure, you know, I don't think it's ever crossed his mind that she could be in danger um, by him going off and doing these adventures with Peggy. He was putting himself in danger and Anna's letting him go and do it. And that's fine. And he's kind of, you know, understanding now that she's not able to accept that he may not come back from one of these missions with Peggy. While he was in the army, she obviously does see him as her husband and doesn't want to lose him just because she's going off uh, on these adventures with Peggy. But I don't think it ever crossed his mind that Anna would be in danger, you know, and I like that it's called out here. I like that he's suddenly um, been confronted with actually the real um, the reality of what they do, that it can affect those close to home. Yeah, Absolutely. Yeah. I think um, it, it's a nice um, bookend to what um, Anna was feeling in the last episode where Jarvis goes off to the arena club to try and get this, the vial of zero matter from Whitney Frost. You know, she suddenly becomes uh, concerned about his safety, you know, where he's looking for a gun and for mm-hmm. you know, a, a cane with a sword in it. And she has... That um, that slight element of doubt that everything he's doing is is 
is not safe and that he could get harmed. And now in that moment where he realizes that the trap is sprung against Wilkes, he realizes that his wife is in danger as well yeah. and rushes off. And I love that kind of bookending of, of these uh, characters who, um, you know, are, is just so good. Yeah. Yeah. Absolutely. Uh, overall, that's all of my points. Uh, any other notes or points for you, John? No, I think I've covered everything that I, I wanted to. Yeah. So, Derek, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I really do. A little bit of a darker episode. Uh, I think overall we're left at the end of this episode with uh, Anna Jarvis shot, with uh, Sousa deposed in his position and effectively beaten in his in his own home. Uh, Dottie's escaped now. She's she's in the wind, uh, and obviously Peggy and Jarvis are are now stuck in the hospital. Um, with, with Anna. Um, Peggy's not fully up to, fully back to full health as we see throughout this episode. She's still not back to full health from when, uh, she was attacked by Whitney Frost. Uh, so things aren't looking great for the team, but that makes a great episode. Uh, there's also some great humor within the episode, as I mentioned. Uh, really good interplay between the characters, uh, that we see. We see a much darker side of Vernon Masters in here. So a really good kind of midway point is a little after the midway, but a really good midway point kind of leading into the last three episodes of the season. I absolutely defend this episode. And John, do you defend this episode of Agent Carter? I do. I really do defend this episode of Agent Carter. And I have to be kind of a bit, um, cautious about my, my ranking here because um, I am just absolutely in the groove and loving this show at the moment. It, it offers everything up to me in comedy, tragedy, great characterization, standalone episodes, but all moving into a nice single sto- a through storyline as well. Yeah. For me, this is like one of my favorite shows on TV at the moment. And that is why I'm giving this episode 4.5 jitterbugs out of five. <laughs> um, you know, it has, the comedy and tragedy element with, with Jarvis and Anna. It's got these three amazing actresses or actors in the three graces that I'm calling them, uh, Dottie, Peggy, and, and Whitney. Mm-hmm. Um, and just the whole interaction and scenes that they have together or individually are absolutely excellent. Um, we have um, this real intimate moment with Peggy uh, between her and a conversation between her and Jarvis, which is just a really nice little insight into into the character. We have the rescue of Dottie and it being questioned by Wilkes. We have Wilkes being um, kidnapped and Anna being shot. So much going on. Yeah. Um, and... At the same time, we have more development of Vernon Masters, and we see the Sousa storyline really um, taking a different turn than I was expecting. I mean, it was... I almost wasn't expecting to see uh, as much of Sousa in this episode than what we got, and it'll be interesting now to see how that plays out in the next episode. Um, And Dottie is once again free in the wind. How will she impact Whitney's plan? Will she do it for Mother Russia yeah. or will she do it to help Peggy? I mean, or is she is... just going to get as far away as oh, well, possible? Absolutely. <laughs> um, so all of these things, um, are just for me fantastic. Yeah. And I'm really, really enjoying this series. I loved this episode again. So for me, absolutely, um, 4.5 jitterbugs out of five. And I absolutely defend this episode of Agent Carter. Yeah, really enjoyable episode. 
with that, I think we can go into a little bit of feedback. If you want to send in your feedback on Agent Carter or any of the other shows that we cover, obviously just send it into feedback at DefendersTVPodcast.com. Our first piece of feedback comes from one of the writers of Agent Carter, Eric Pearson, who sent us a message on Twitter after hearing our episode last last week and says to the gentlemen of Defenders TV Podcast, thank you so much for all the kind words and smart analysis. Loved the podcast. Yeah, nice. Thanks very much, Thank, Eric. Yeah, no, absolutely. Thank you so much, Eric. Yeah, it's really nice to hear. Thanks. Yes, yeah, absolutely. Eric uh, Pearson is the one that brought Peggy Carter to life in the one-shot special that effectively got the show commissioned yeah, into yeah. a two-series show. So uh, delighted to hear that you uh, you listened to our podcast and, uh, and enjoyed it. Thank you very much for that. We also received some feedback from Doug Green. He says, you keep those vacuum-powered syringes, Derek. I can see that going all kinds of wrong, and I'm not scared of needles. <laughs> <laughs> so I mentioned last week that uh, Jason Wilkes had created a vacuum-powered uh, syringe to take the blood of, of Whitney Frost. Um, it's something that you always see in things like Star Trek and that kind of thing, that this is the future of syringes, that uh, you won't have to see the big needle as they, pu- as they push the... As uh, they press into your into your body to take blood, you know? Uh, and I've always wondered why we don't have them now, because it looks like such a simple quick thing so uh yeah okay doug i obviously uh i'm alone in that one uh but thanks very much for your feedback well and you do scream whenever you have um blood taken <laughs> yeah i'm not great with needles i must say no you certainly aren't and finally we have some deadpool feedback from stephanie styles uh in relation to the discussion of villains in marvel movies she says i think that villains are harder to create if you want them to be more than tropes, you see it done phenomenally well by Marvel in the Netflix shows because they have time and latitude for deep character development. In the movies, they can't afford to spend the time on developing villains because they instantly need to align your sympathies with the hero. A truly good villain, see the Purple Man, Kingpin uh, from the Marvel Netflix shows, also elicits sympathy from the audience. In a two-hour film... That would break up the momentum in the hero's usually accelerated journey. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. I, I think it is difficult to um, get baddies, villains uh, in films right. I think normally they're done maybe over the course of um, a number of sequels. If you think of, say, Darth Vader in, in the Star Wars uh, trilogy. Yeah. The original trilogy. You know, he goes obviously from real bad guy to really seeing that that he wasn't always that way and you get that sympathy or you have the alternate where someone like the joker in, in the batman films has so much history is so well known that there's almost a shorthand yeah. to everything surrounding the joker that he can then be introduced into a film almost with a minimum of fuss whereas if you're starting to generate new uh, villains then i yeah it's it's difficult um, but it can be done if you can do it either by shorthand or maybe over a sequence of films. But I would completely agree. I think you know, good villains always have um, a side which should resonate with the audience or at least show some kind of sympathy, that idea of um, the light side and the dark side, I suppose, um, is a truly important piece to the villain, absolutely. Yeah, and very difficult to do, as we did mention in our in our Deadpool coverage. While we were talking about a comedy film, we just were mentioning the fact that uh, the villain of the of that movie was com- almost completely cut out of it. It's, it's kind of the only scenes that he had on screen were ones that he shared with Deadpool, where Deadpool got most of the dialogue and he just was 
there to punch him, uh, basically. So, um, so not a huge criticism of the Deadpool movie as such, but just a kind of a discussion that we had about all of the Marvel films overall, uh, that the villains tend to be a little bit more underdeveloped than we see in the wonderful TV shows that we've been covering. So thanks very much for that feedback, Stephanie. Yeah, absolutely. Thank you so much, Stephanie. And remember, please keep sending in your feedback, as Derek uh, said at the beginning, to feedback at defenderstvpodcast.com. Um, and we will air that on our episodes of of Defenders TV Podcast. Yeah. I think with that, it's on to the Civil War trailer. Yeah, we had tons of stuff happen this week, but we will just focus on the Civil War trailer. But first off, we had the Daredevil premiere happened in Paris uh, this week for Europe. Uh, the Daredevil premiere happened in New York for the American uh, coverage. So lots of interviews with the cast and, uh, and people behind the show, um, which is really interesting to, to watch before we get to see the episodes from the 18th of March. And then another quick announcement before we get into Civil War. We had now have a date for Luke Cage. Absolutely. When he's coming to Netflix. September. Yeah, not Sweet Christmas. <laughs> It'll be the 30th of September uh, when we get all 13 episodes of the Luke Cage TV show, the third of our defenders joining uh, the team over on Netflix. So excited to see what they, what they're going to be doing with Luke Cage. Yeah. Sweet September. Um, <laughs> absolutely. And, and just before uh, New York Comic Con in early October. So will there be a Luke Cage kind of little, um, aspect to the Marvel, um, panels, uh, at New York Comic Con? Mm-hmm. And when I say that, I mean more likely to bring in um, Iron Fist, possibly. I'm hoping for an Iron Fist yeah. Luke Cage panel at Me too. New York Comic Con. It'd be great, wouldn't it? Me too. And certainly now knowing that Jessica Jones Season 2 is going to happen, mm-hmm. uh, we may even know at that stage whether there is a Season 3 of Daredevil, possibly. Mm-hmm. I mean, the it's mind-blowing what could actually happen at New York Comic Con in um this year in relation to the Marvel Netflix shows. We are crossing our fingers that we'll get to get tickets and go along for our third year running to, uh, to New York Comic Con. Absolutely. I think it was, um, on our Facebook group when Ronaldo there had said that, you know, uh, Jeff Loeb was saying how there were 10 shows in the mix here, including right. Agents of Shield and um, Agent Carter, possibly if it gets uh, renewed. Uh, so, you know, there's so many different shows that, that could be happening that are marvel related so it's excellent to to see uh, what comes out of the ether but i'm yeah i'm looking forward to a iron fist luke cage kind of uh bromance going on at new york comic-con this year absolutely and finally the big one for this week is the civil war trailer came out captain america civil war the third in the trilogy of captain america films uh the trailer came out this week uh first off john what did you think of the trailer Really, really liked it. I think um, it's built on all the other trailers previously uh, and the Super Bowl spot as well. Mm-hmm. The whole United We Stand, Divided We Fall um, uh, aspect to to the um, to this this movie. Um, I loved it. So as we go in for the discussion of the Captain America Civil War trailer, uh, there will be some spoilers probably coming out of what we're talking about. Not too many because we obviously haven't seen it. Neither has anybody else in the world, uh, luckily. It's theories. It's fan theories. So, I mean, let's see what happens. Will they come true or will they just be absolute random and wild speculation? Like our usual uh, (laughs) thoughts on what might happen in the future. But if you want to stick with us, uh, we'll be going through those thoughts. If not, we will talk to you next week for the, the next agent carter podcast absolutely um so derek what are your thoughts on 
this new trailer. I'm really, really enjoyed it just because it's, yes, it's a trailer, but it is probably the last big trailer we're going to see and had some of the big reveals that, uh, that we were looking forward to the whole time. Uh, obviously cannot continue without mentioning the introduction of our friendly neighborhood Spider-Man. Um, I thought that was fantastic. I loved, uh, firstly that Iron Man, Tony Stark has a, already got a nickname for him. He's calling him Underoos, um, <laughs> which is, which is a nice little joke on the fact that he's the only one wearing a full head to toe costume. Uh, I also like the fact that Marvel have made the decision to, uh, animate the eyes of, uh, of Spider-Man. So to give him a little bit more, uh, a little bit more feeling or a little bit more, um, acting ability within being behind it's like the eyes with deadpool it just gives an idea or helps with the expression of what they're feeling anger happiness tragedy um sorrow yeah all that kind of stuff exactly uh, there is a bit of speculation out there that uh, that they are animated because uh Tony Stark has used some of his technology to develop this suit for, for Spider-Man, uh, much like in the comic books. This is yeah, the reason that, that he's on the side of Tony Stark because Tony's developed a great new suit for him and explained to him why, uh, the, this act that's, uh, the registration act that's being enacted is right for Spider-Man to be on, uh, on the right side of, I suppose. Uh, I don't know how much we're going to see Spider-Man in the movie, but I do like that this is a possibly a nod to the fact that Tony is using his technology to help out, uh, Peter Parker. Yeah, I think that was a, a nod uh, or a shout out on, on our Facebook page as well from David Wang, who wondered whether Stark Tech was involved in the Spidey suit. So yeah, it'd be interesting to see. Um, yeah, fantastic little entrance uh, there um, of Spider-Man. Really intrigued to see how much spy of Spider-Man we get in this film. And uh, for me as well, I loved um, the Winter Soldier again. We, we see definitely, you know, him firing uh, a gun at Stark's face. That was in one of the earlier trailers. He seemed to be uh, incarcerated in the the raft. I think is the the big facility in the middle of the ocean. Mm-hmm. Um, so is he presumably captured for for something for a crime he didn't commit to go all a team uh, for for a little moment, <laughs> um, and he's broken out of. Um, out of this facility by Captain America and, and his group. And, um, we do also see, I think maybe it's just editing, um, but does Winter Soldier shoot down Iron Patriot? Um, you know, it's possible. Yeah. It looked like it from the trailer, but obviously it could simply be, um, some editing here. So really, really liked that. Um, and I kind of really liked, um, that. Tony Stark's uh, dialogue of I want to punch you in your perfect white teeth. I'm glad that was put into context, actually, where, you know, Captain America is kind of saying, if I think that or feel that something's heading south, I have to respond to that. I can't just simply say um, no. And, I, you know, we have that great scene where New York, Sokovia um, and Washington, D.C. are all called out by General Ross. Yeah. Um, and Returning from the Incredible Hulk. That's quite cool. Yeah. I, it's really, really good. I love the expression on Falcon's face. Kind of really kind of, uh, you know, he kind of seems to get affected by it, certainly. And so does Scarlet Witch when he mentions Sokovia. Obviously, where her brother was killed. Yeah. So that was a really nice little scene, I think, that put... Um, things into context for this movie yeah. and probably you know forms the genesis of 
the the civil war. Yeah, yeah. Not so civil about war anyway, as Guns N' Roses says. <laughs> very true, very true. Uh, just one other, or two other little things that I wanted to mention. Uh, absolutely loved, and I know I think a couple of our uh, of our listeners had their minds blown by the inclusion of a great moment where uh, Hawkeye uses one of his arrows. Uh, loaded up with Ant-Man in his small oh, brilliant. on top yeah. of it. Very, very, very famous comic book cover uh, and moment with between those two former Avengers. Fantastic. Uh, that was up. cool. That very was cool. very cool. And one of the other great great moments as well is Scarlet Witch versus Vision. Um, Vision was the all-powerful character in, yeah. in uh, Age that of Ultron. Cool. And having Scarlet Witch being able to take on that power, you know, shows how powerful she is. Those two characters are married in the comic books or were married for many years. They have a huge relationship or a huge long-term relationship that they've had in the comic books. So nice to see a scene with the two of them go mano a mano, as you would see in comic books. Yeah, really, really good. Really cool. So great fun trailer. It is just a trailer at the end of the day. That is no definition of quality. It's just a definition of marketing. Uh, we totally understand that. So, um, But right now, I am so excited to go and yeah, see that. Yeah, lots film. of cool stuff in this. I have to say, I did really like um, the Scarlet Witch uh, smacking down Vision because I was wondering, well, how do you combat Vision? You know, Who is the person that combats Vision? Yeah. And maybe out of this... Um, comes a beautiful relationship yeah absolutely absolutely i think that's the end of this week's episode of defenders tv podcast of course uh, and we will be here next week with another episode of agent carter and of course the start of our daredevil season two coverage oh, I can't wait. Um, as it lands in one nice meaty lump uh, on the 18th of march courtesy of netflix as it's distributed globally mm-hmm. in one shot it's like takeout coming and being delivered to your door (laughs) and we will obviously be getting it around 8 a.m uh in ireland and the uk yeah um it will be 9 a.m for europe Mm -hmm. the rest of europe and of course it will be slightly uh earlier in the evening or night time um in the US, obviously being five hours or plus, uh, behind, uh, UK and Ireland time wise. So, um, we will hopefully have. Other time zones are available. Um, but, yeah. <laughs> yes, so I'm we... time zoning it to the max here. <laughs> right. Um, but we will and have Because people in Asia will have, of course, watched the entire 13 episodes by the time we get to it. <laughs> no, they will not because it's exactly the same time worldwide. I know, that's being I'm released. Joking. For us, it's 8 a.m., which works out really well. We do have the day off. We will be podcasting about the first episode on day one of release. We will have a mega hangover from St. Patrick's Day. <laughs> true. So true. if we slur our words if we slur our words um if we pass out mid podcast <laughs> then we st- will still be here podcasting away fighting through it absolutely absolutely uh, looking forward to getting back to the netflix universe but still we will be here with our agent carter podcast make sure you subscribe to the podcast on uh, itunes at defenders tv podcast.com slash itunes it'll take you directly to the link to subscribe uh, you can also f- subscribe to us on any other good podcast catcher like podcast addict um beyond pod or stitcher just look for defenders tv podcast and those episodes of both agent carter and daredevil will appear in your feed as we release them looking forward to getting back to it again if you want to send it in your feedback send it to feedback at 
DefendersTVPodcast.com. With that, as always, thank you so much for listening. Um, it's been great again to go through uh, this episode of Agent Carter. Uh, I'm off to go and play on a sticky wicket. Bye. Talk to you again soon. Bye. Hi, this is Derek, just back for a little post-credit comment. Uh, when we were recording this episode, we completely forgot about the time difference between the US and Ireland uh, being slightly changed due to the error going forward in the US at uh, the weekend of the 13th of March. Uh, obviously, the time difference uh, has means that we will get Daredevil a little bit earlier than we thought. It's going to be arriving at 7am in Ireland, 8am in Europe, and all the other time zones will uh, follow suit, as John mentioned. Um, but unfortunately, we didn't we hadn't got that piece of knowledge before we recorded the episode but uh yeah but anyway we will be back with our first episode of daredevil season two uh next friday the 18th of march looking forward to talking about it then bye this has been a flickering myth podcast network production for more information head over to flickeringmyth.com for more shows like it Find this show in iTunes by searching for the podcast name and head over to youtube.com forward slash flickering myth to subscribe to the Flickering Myth movie show. We'll see you on the next podcast. Take care. Bye bye.